everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 381. Yes, that's right. It's um, it's pl- plunging towards three, 400. I guess we've got 19 shows in six months or so. I have said this before, but, you know, we're nearly there. And uh, as discussed with Gaz last week, I think we're gonna, maybe going to try and figure out another uh, competition and um, try and use a different way of doing it, like with a, a YouTube animation and people work to that kind of thing. So if anyone fancies having a crack at a, a Sonic State uh, intro sequence of about 30 seconds in animation, I can send you some logos and all that sort of stuff. Um, then we could use that and that could be used as a competition. I mean, I know I'm asking a lot. It's not the sort of thing you just casually throw together in the uh, you know in a spare 20 minutes unless of course you're fabulously talented as a uh, fabulously talented as i know a lot of our chatties are in fact here they are chat chat room there fulsome chat room and i'm not too ashamed to say it i will say fulsome there we go so thank you very much for joining us also before we start I should say uh welcome to uh isotope of course our show sponsors isotope uh have been um talking about rx4 which is one of the big releases they've got a lot of stuff coming up actually and also this week the competition is flipping up so we've got to announce the winner of the last rx4 competition but we're also going to be running an ozone 6 uh, giveaway, which is actually their brand new mastering suite. So I know a lot of uh, our people use them. So uh, stay tuned. That's the tease, I think they call it. Uh, the next tease we've got there with his synth cave teasing imagery, the chat room are already drooling over your analogness, uh, is Dave Spears of G4 Software, uh, makers of fine software instruments. At least I think that's what they do. I, I'm not sure anymore. I think it's mostly they seem to post videos of lovely analog equipment. And it looks like right there, is that some sort of Neumann microphone you've got as well? Ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> is that, what's that? Are you, uh, is that a U47? U67? Yes. U47? Is that a yes. Valva? Good Lord. No, effect. One of the new effects. Ah, okay. Well, I suppose that, yeah, that looks lovely. Oh, okay. It's still beautiful. Yeah, they do sound lovely. They do I'm sound lovely. I'm going to use it for kick drums. So. <laughs> kick drums and really loud things that are going to blow the diaphragm out. Yeah. <laughs> very, very plosive vocalists without a guard. Why not? Rich Hilton from Chic in his morning suit. He's obviously taken off his casual. You look like one of those guys who's just come back from all night clubbing. You should have the bow tie hanging down, sort of unloosed there. You've be, obviously been gigging some kind of massive disco what's-it somewhere with Chic. Of course, uh, keyboard player with Chic and also uh, works with Noel Rogers in the studio on a daily basis. How are you, Rich Hilton? Are you well? I'm very, yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Happy to be home at the moment. Uh, we were in Cannes uh, last week playing a corporate function. Uh-huh. And how was that? Was it warm or was it raining like cats and dogs? No, Cannes was beautiful. Uh, oh. Warm, ate, you know, took meals outside on the Mediterranean. It was beautiful. I am jealous because I was in Turkey the previous week and it was peeing with rain for a lot of the time, oh. which is also on the Mediterranean. It was warm, though, but chic weren't yeah. playing. No, I understand. So, um, different well, we, thing. All, we, we played for some convention of some kind yeah <laughs> corporate gigs are always interesting for us because yeah the, well the you're not you're not you're not the main event i suppose because they're there for the corporateness of the gig and you are sort of the entertainment right. which is a different atmosphere i guess right they didn't exactly sign up for us necessarily <laughs> just somebody so, <laughs> yeah, or maybe not maybe just dinner and you know see ya. do you get to uh do you do you at those sort of gigs do you get those kind of requests like, could you just uh, maybe after the third song say happy birthday to, you know, employee X or, you know, Occasion- whatever? Occasionally we get a birthday request. And heck, we'll bring them up on stage if it's possible. Excellent. Um, 
but uh, always try to honor birthday requests from people who care enough to ask. I oh, think. that's very good that's, of you. That's kind of how we go about it. Um, but the corporate thing is interesting because you start with a catered dinner for 900 and just let that roll around in your head for a minute. 900 Jeez. catered meals. And then, uh, and then they've just eaten, drank, and been plied for cash because typically there's some kind of fundraising going on. And then you go on. And uh, by the end of the show, you've got like 200. <laughs> so it's a deplete, and, it's just a sort of ra- depleting audience. Just and gets 50 worse. Of those, and 50 of those are on stage with us. Yeah. And, the, <laughs> and then 25 of them are asleep because they don't get out much. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> but they're, they're always, always kind to us. And people, I think, who didn't expect to see us are not necessarily thinking on the way in that they were fans of this music walk out happy. So I'm very confident about that and uh it's just a completely different experience from playing festivals to you know tens of thousands of people amidst other amazing bands who are and the people out in the field are all enthusiastic for one reason or another excellent that sounds excellent right i'm just going to go and grab gaz um if you two you two can talk amongst yourselves as much as you like (laughs) hi rich how are you good nice analog porn behind you thank you beautiful it hasn't been fired up for a while yeah, I understand that part. Right. I'm pimping the... Uh... Very nice. Very nice. You are indeed. But meanwhile, would it be out of line to mention that there seems to be a brand new release from G4 Software? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm looking like this. Because I've been up <laughs> I mean, the nights. And, and I may say a stunning new release from G4 Software. I love hello. the gooey. I hello, really hello, love hello. It. I love the sound of the thing and the gooey and pretty much everything about it. <laughs> Once you explain to me how to use the PPC. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much for holding the fort there, gents. I think we have uh, also today's show, Mr. Gaz Williams. Hello. Sorry about that earlier. I That's all right. Responded to last week's invite. <laughs> ah. <laughs> That's sorry, okay. Right. Gaz Williams there in his garage. <laughs> Gaz Williams, professional bass player and uh, music producer. And in fact, um, Garrett owner. I went there yesterday because I was in Bristol to uh, drop the yes. family off. And I, I, I came to... And it was very strange because I've been to Gaz's place never, yeah. although I've seen it from this angle, I don't know, yeah. maybe 150 times. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. so much more disappointed in reality. Isn't no, it? <laughs> that's not true at all. It's, it's no. brilliant. Rich, Rich has been here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Cool. So what I'm the, the odd one out. that? <laughs> yeah, that's need random. Be, need to be the first one over at Gaz's. Yeah, that uh, is bizarre. Anyway, Rich and Gaz, uh, Gaz Williams, um, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I think what we'll probably do is get get stuck in, shall we? We'll uh, we'll start things off. I'll just um, um, play a video. Here we are. This is uh, I, this is perhaps not the newest news, but the the the, the last of the Keith Emerson kind of tribute Moog modulars was uh, sold. 150,000 bucks, handmade kind of replication of the huge Emerson Moog modular system. Emerson Moog modular system that he took out on the road and was very famously uh, used. There it is. Wow, that's impressive. You wouldn't want that to fall on you, would you? If you jumped up and down too much. 
We studied original Moog synthesizers <laughs> to create a faithful recreation of the original Keith Emerson instrument. This is uh, fabulous. And, and the, the thing that's really interesting about this is, A, that they, you know, they made five of them, I think, went for 150000 bucks each. So, you know, that's a, what, 700, that's three quarters of a million dollars to make things. So obviously that's going to keep in a, a bunch of uh, hardcore electronics engineers in work for a while. And they went. I mean, they were, you know, they are have got to be what some of the most interesting set of synth although i have to say the sounds that they used in to sort of demonstrate it were perhaps not as impressive as you could do with uh, however many oscillators it's got i know dave um you didn't buy one uh, no we bought four <laughs> <laughs> just waiting no, for them to be no. shipped right <laughs> yeah yeah well, they, come on no we didn't no what an amazing instrument what an amazing price god but i mean it goes to a system that big if it was original which would require an awful lot of um you know servicing or what have you would probably go for something close to that wouldn't it not mm-hmm. yeah in fact there's a there's one on the vimeo auction that's coming up on saturday i've got a feeling the starting bid on that something like twenty three thousand pounds oh okay so that's about 40 grand yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not, you know, MO's modular and whatnot. It's a shame Chris wasn't here, obviously, because he toured with this. Or he toured with Keith a million years ago and, and uh, had, to, had to lug the original around, which is, uh, yeah, it's a shame he's not around because he has some pretty entertaining stories about that. I think he used it for a couple of sounds. And Chris, at one point, I believe he suggested that rather than lug it around constantly, is there any way he could sample up those two sounds and Keith could just use that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, it's all part of the stage show and all that kind of stuff. But sort of, I don't think... Um, it was in a bad state, if I remember correctly. Right. A lot of... You know, Chris and I have talked about this a million years ago, so I may be being completely inaccurate, but I, I do remember it had to be completely rebuilt at one point. Oh, out. I mean, you sort of paint yourself into the corner. You know, you start off when, when you've got 17 Arctics and you think, I know what would be a great idea. I'll have 17 bass drums. We'll have a wall of modular stuff. We'll have a replica Stonehenge. And then, you know, 20 years later, you're thinking, oh, God, do I have to take that thing? You know, couldn't it have just been a funny hat I chose instead of all of that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I know, Rich, you know, you used to work in the, 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 the synth dealerships back in the day. I mean, did you get any of those sort of big systems through or did they generally were custom built and went straight to the customer i suppose rather than sort of through any kind of dealership uh b they were custom built and generally were distributed directly to customers needs they were created to order but i do have one or two decent anecdotes uh while working as an undergraduate grad student at cornell university in 1978 i was exposed to modular moog number three because uh, Ithaca, which is where Cornell is, is right down the road from Trumansburg, which is where Bob Moog was at the time of the development of these instruments. So uh, I was privileged to mostly look at that one because it was in pretty bad disrepair and it didn't work very well. Um, but I also got to play Mini Moog number 89, oh. uh, which uh, belonged to a gentleman named Don Croker who was my music history teacher at the time, and who played in the original Moog Trio with Chris Swanson during the late 60s, which probably was the group that played this um, 
this uh, concert at the art museum in New York uh, that they mentioned in the film that you've referenced in, in this Oh, topic. yes, the MoMA. Um, that, that was quite interesting, wasn't it? The, uh, the fact that uh, Bob Moog essentially created performance synthesizers before the Mini Moog specifically for a kind of jazz gig in the 1960s in the garden at uh, the Museum of Modern Art um, in New York. Right. Right. Well, there were, were... Sorry? Was that Herb Deutsch? I'm he wouldn't sure. have played in the Moog Trio, I don't think. Okay. I, th I think the Moog Trio was centered in Ithaca and involved Chris Swanson, Don Croker, and somebody else who I don't think was Herb Deutsch. But, of course, Herb was there, and he's in many of the pictures in this film that we uh, have associated with this topic. And um, anyway, Croker was a member of the Moog Trio and had mini Moog number 89 that he used to lend me to play on gigs. Ah, I, I think I've seen a picture of you, uh, Rich, with an impressive fro and a mini Moog. Would that have been the that mini Moog? That would have been, that, no, that's the multi Moog that's sitting ah, over there okay. on top of my clavinet. Um, but, uh, but no, 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 that, that picture, it was either the multi Moog or a micro Moog. Um, ah, okay. But uh, on a number of occasions, I got to play this mini Moog. And by the way, it, it did have to be constantly tuned. Yeah, I can imagine that sort of thing is uh, is actually on stage cool. at those days with the lack of regulated temperature oscillators and Jeez. shifting environments. It did need to be tuned quite often, but it was a blast to play. It had the original uh, plexiglass wheels rather than the white plastic sort of toothed gear thing that they came around later. And uh, it was gorgeous. The wood was beautiful. It would look like, you know, it didn't have this sort of veneered look. It looked like it had just been cut down, you know, and bought from the lumber yard. It had <laughs> a very handmade look to it. And uh, actually, their stuff still does to some extent. So uh, that's, so that's great. Um, that's that, what I interesting got. that the Herb Deutsch, the Emerson modular was actually originally built for Herb, wasn't it? Oh, really? Well, was that like a surplus order? Is that one of those things is when you get kind of unfulfilled orders, like you get in bathroom shops, you know, this suite was ordered and nobody picked it up, so you can have it for a knockdown price. <laughs> I think he built it, and uh, I think he built it for a gig that Herb was playing, and then, you know, obviously it went back to Moog, and then I think at some point, you know, Emerson acquired it. Ah. Mm -hmm. Speaking well, of Herb, you know, he's a friend of mine. Of, of he is an amazing individual, really amazing a nice individual. Man. Really nice man. Yeah. Rich, I'm I'm hypnotised by the sound of your microphone. It sounds absolutely fantastic today. What have you done? Have you added some bottom end to it? <laughs> have you just no, no zero EQ on this microphone. Wow! And I basically adjusted the I/O a bit and uh, the compression a bit. Nice. And um, the compression, by the way, is the native compression that comes with Motu uh, in their QMix software. Right. Sounds great on the voice, definitely. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> you were talking about um, serial number eighty nine. Dave, do you know, is there a kind of curve that happens with uh, particularly sort of specifically hand-built instruments where, you know, serial number one might not be quite all it could be, but by the time you get to sort of 30 or 40 or whatever, is there a kind of feature creep or, you know, fixing creep of things like that, particularly, say, in the Mini Moog or some of the other classic synths? Well, the Mini, there was a hundred of the original RA Moogs made, and they were all, they were discrete components, and they are, you know, still considered the kind of holy, holy grail. Then it went to the Musonics after that, and uh, then the um, the one we've got, which is the Mini Moog. I mean, it, when once you get into this, you just never you you know you never get away from it because it's like discrete components. Then there's the first generation analog oscillators, and, and then you have got the second ones, which are a little bit more reliable in terms of tuning, but 
everyone thinks that they haven't got as much punch as the first generations, but the RAs are really, really are the, the holy grail. So, yeah, if anyone finds one of those first 100 RA modes, just buy it. They're the ones, are they? I know. Gaz, thinking about getting yeah, the RA mode? Oh, you've, you've dropped. <laughs> you, you seem to, you've gone, you've gone a bit like Where's Wally underneath the wall with the, yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, did it do mini modes, model A's, model B's and C's then? Is that why, is that what? Uh, was, yeah, was but they the... were never released. It was only the oh. D was released. Ah, oh, so the D was the only one. Right, okay. So, and was the, with the Emerson modular, was the first time we heard that, was that Lucky Man then? Or was that, was was the move, was that a little bit later than the, the Emerson modular came about? Don't ask me. <laughs> I can speak. I can speak to that a little bit, but just from an observational point of view, because I was a fan at the time and I saw them in their first uh, one of their first tours. Mm. Um, I don't know the answer to whether or not the one he toured was the one he used, but I suspect it was because they just weren't that many around um, for Lucky Man. But when I saw them in November of 1971 in New York, touring on Tarkus, he had what looks essentially like the cabinet from what became the Moog 35, which was sort of the bottom angled layer of what later became that behemoth. So the thing built up over time. Mm -hmm. And I saw the early version. And there's a film of them touring in that period where you see that same early version and his earlier version of the ribbon controller that he used to do the kind of wacky stage <laughs> stuff that he used ah. to do. Stuff. I could just imagine. Yeah. You he used to shoot like fireworks out the end of the Jesus. thing. God knows what kind of safety that pyro had going on. But, uh, you know, and apparently he once fell off a stage with the L100 while he was wrestling with that. And, you know, but in any Ouch. case, there started out to be something that was in a cabinet about the size of a Moog 35 that was just the angled bottom part of what later became what is today considered the Emerson synth. Ah. So I, I, I was about... Sorry. Stories if you want them. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, a, a very funny story. Chris actually, uh, Keith actually said, asked Chris when they were touring, he said, you know, I'm not getting any younger and I have to wrestle the L100 around a lot on stage. Is there any way you can kind of make it easier? And I think Chris went to a hardware store and put wheels on it, but then didn't tell Keith. <laughs> so that when he started wrestling it around, it just ended up in the orchestra pit. Just went flying off the stage. Coming out of it going, Argh. and Chris was, he said he just couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. And Keith was like, do something. And Chris is like, I am, I'm laughing. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Nice one. Sorry, Gaz, you wanted to come in there. Uh, well, I I was just wondering. I mean, when you see footage or uh, of Keith Emerson playing that modular live, how on earth did he do the patch? How on earth did he patch it then in a show without it taking forever? I mean, would, I, he, I, would he just go ba -ba 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 bang and put all the patch cables in? Uh, did he? Oh. It's, I think what you do. I, I'm get. This is my take on it. I'm, let me have a go. I reckon it's so big because essentially you have multiple patches in different areas of the synth, so you just kind of unplug one or two or three out. Each output is a different patch. That's my guess. That one, was the, one was a helicopter they're, noise. <laughs> they're fed through a common mixer or, and also they describe in the film, uh, this set of preset Oh yes, that's right. That yeah. Wired up that enabled him to uh, reliably recall certain sounds 
which apparently ultimately boiled down to two that Chris wanted to sample. But <laughs> in the beginning involved a few more than two, but not that many more. But it was so novel at the time that the lack of variety in the sound wasn't in, an issue at all because you were just enthralled with the sound of the thing in, a, in an arena in a hockey rink. It just sounded amazing, as I believe Emerson mentions in the film. Like, just the, you plug one of those things in and crank it up in a hockey rink, and it sounds incredible. That's amazing, isn't it? It's interesting, though, isn't it, how, you know, in many ways, you know, the, the, the generation of kind of laptop musicians where it, it looks like everybody's just sort of checking their email, as opposed to someone with their back to you <laughs> just kind of... Po- operating a, a, a telephone kind of uh, um, patch system. I guess that's slightly more interesting, but for the time, you could, you know, if, if it became too commonplace, you could say, well, you know, that's not really performance either, I suppose, if you got well, uh, a about it. For, he would reach for a knob now and then, but he wouldn't act. I don't think I ever saw him, and I saw them a lot of times, repatch anything on the stage. <laughs> yeah, they had this preset selector, wasn't it? So you could select between two patches that you've done. But I mean, the one thing Chris said is that I think when he, Chris had come off a massive tour and was seconded to MO and he had to fly out to, um, oh God, what's the town where Roy Clare is? I forget what it is. Um, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. They were rehearsing there and Chris said, he, you know, he was kind of completely fatigued and I think his marriage was on the rocks at the time because he'd been touring a lot and whatnot. This is Chris, obviously not Keith and, Keith, uh, Chris said that when he saw Keith play, what was that, Flight of the Bumblebee from behind the keyboard backwards and stuff like that, he suddenly realised, you know, how dexterous. But that was all part of the performance, you know, the mucking about with the modular. I saw an amazing thing at NAMM. I was working for an Italian company uh, doing some consultancy and it was general music and they hired uh, Keith. Keith was an endorser of theirs. In fact, I've got a feeling we might have arranged that. But, um, he uh, was playing the gig with the modular, with the pyrotechnics and the ribbon controller, and with Bob Moog on the stage doing a theremin. And it was actually very, very entertaining because Keith was giving yeah. it large, all the poses and the fireworks. And, of course, Bob's standing, you know, within an, within touching distance of all these fireworks coming out of the ribbon controller. And we were like, <laughs> don't burn Bob! Don't burn Bob! <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's why I need a few more pyrotechnics. Yeah. Uh, less of a nod to health and safety. Let's have some more explosives on stage, eh? Why not? That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> well, he used to have knives he'd stick in the Hammond. He he was not a person who was shy about uh, doing things, flourishes, like <laughs> reaching for the filter knob more because of the way it looked than because the sound actually needed him to be reaching for this filter knob at that moment. Like he appreciated the theatrical aspects more than my, and on the brain cell at surgery tour, when the, at the end of Carnival nine, when the thing swings out as part of the synth and the whole thing seems to be going crazy, like the synth has taken over the stage and they were very theatrical in a way. And he was before ELP and the nice too. Yep. He's a uh, man. He appreciates and likes his theatrics. Well, I wonder if we'll ever see one of those uh, Moog um, Emerson tribute editions uh, on stage again, or if you've paid 150 grand for it, you're probably not going to uh, <laughs> not going to be doing too much with it. But anyway, yes. So uh, if you, we'll keep an eye. Out. I guess there'll be maybe there'll be a few patches appearing on YouTube. You know, like here's my synth, here's my Keith Emerson synth patch. <laughs> I saved up and bought it. Um, right then, um, I should probably. Um, oh yeah, let's have a look at this. This is quite interesting, actually. 
This is a uh, an instrument. I think it's called Yai Baha. It's uh, basically by a chap called Gorkem Chen, who's a Turkish musician. And it's got those kind of spring things that you get in those kind of kids' mics, but on a much larger scale. And the sounds of it are really quite remarkable. It looks like there's like a Zoom H4N or something recording the stereo up there underneath the peg. I don't know if you can see. If I fast forward it a bit, because he starts playing the actual... Uh, oh, I need to find my, my, my mouse. baby it's like Nash the Slash uh, this is really interesting but one thing that I gotta say is just, just if I just go back to this a second what do you think of that view just just check the view out that is I don't know if you can see that there it's probably not all that visible but it's it's basically on top of a mountain in this place called uh, Alicia Yurdu which is 300 uh, three hours from Istanbul and it just the, the, but out the window, there's just this mountains with a huge bay and the sunsets in the... It's just awesome. But um, mm. it sounds incredibly synthetic, but it, that, all of the sound of that thing is actually just, you know, acoustic. And that is that is fab. I'm, I'm guessing, Gaz, this might appeal to, to you, you know, mm. being a man who collects basses. Do you think you get a bass <laughs> with that sort of technology in it, possibly? Uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean... It does sound really good, doesn't it? And I mean, there's such a lot of different sounds he gets out of it. And I thought this was a great video. And uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, but what, what could you do with it, though? I mean, you could make sort of um, Diego Stockel like kind of. Yeah, things. it's got that kind of vibe to it, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, amazing. But I mean, is there any plans to market them or make smaller versions or anything? Or is it just, just purely a one-off? I have absolutely no idea. I'm just, what I'm mm. going to try and do, the the, the, uh, the place where he filmed it is uh, this kind of like new age colony. There's people that it's right on the mat. It just look, it just looks absolutely awesome. I want to go there and have a gong bath or something. <laughs> oh, well, I can't make that any big. I don't know how that works. It doesn't seem to want to zoom, but it looks really gorgeous. Um, I don't know if there's plans to make, but it looks. I mean, it looks like it could be repeatable. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Mm. Dave, you you thinking of buying some? Maybe maybe you still want to get in some interesting electroacoustic instruments as well. It's really funny when you sent this through. Um, John and I sometimes in the sort of dark days of bug fixing and testing and coding, we have this little fantasy about we're going to give it all up and go and start a bar on a beach somewhere really nice and make marimbas for a living because that seems a lot easier than sometimes than what we're really doing. And uh, when I saw this, <laughs> I sent it immediately to him and went, dude, it could have been our new business. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, now, if I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I think it's called, now, let me see. It's called the Yebaha. I think uh, there is another video which I, d I didn't actually link up, but of him playing all sorts of spring type instruments and sort of tapping them with mallets and bows, and it, just the atmosphere sounded really interesting. All sorts of the different pitches and what have you. It's a, it's a. I, I like that kind of idea of that. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been at uh, Nam. Uh, sorry, at Music Messer, where they got the kids' hall, and there's all sorts of handmade acoustic properties and instruments. You know, like rubber bands that are. 40 feet long that you can play on a string that come out of these giant PVC pipes as soundboards. And it's got a very similar vibe, although, you know, perhaps not quite so weird and a, 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 a much less destructible. 
I know, Rich. Have you got the? Hang- yeah, you've got. It. You've probably got a big enough garden. Get one of those uh, sound cup sculptures in. I loved it. I loved it, and it took me a while to realize that those were springs, and that all of the reverb and delay I was hearing is acoustically generated by the instrument itself. Yeah, it took me a while to really wrap my head around what was going on, and then. After he stopped banging and scraping and doing things and bowing the string, the uh, springs themselves and banging on the resonator drums, which are essentially resonators in this yeah. in this whole scenario, then he starts playing that thing that looks like a stick cello, and <laughs> and that resonating aspect kicks in, and it's just it's stunning what it sounds like acoustically. It's really incredible. A lot of harmonics going on there, aren't there? Awful lot of harmonics. It's very hard to kind of imagine how. Uh, how you kind of get there from, I suppose it would take a lot of tinkering. And where do you get springs that big? That's what I'm curious. He has to wind them himself or something. It's sort of <laughs> quite possibly. Right. Well, and as, and as Katie says in the chat room, I'd love just to have that room it's in. Yeah. Um, and the, the view, room please. is a large part of the way that thing sounds. And uh, I imagine yeah. if you play it on a beach, it sounds a lot different than it sounds in that room. And uh, I, yeah, I'll take the room too. Yeah. And the view. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that would make a nice studio, wouldn't it, with that view? Although it'd be very hard to see the screens because of the amount of light coming in. You'd have to draw the curtains, which would kind of defeat the point, really. Or turn it round so it wasn't facing the sun. <laughs> Look, I've got this lovely studio, but I've got... Isn't that what you did, Dave? You got daylight, and then now because of the screens, because you can't see the screen, you probably have to draw the blinds all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, can't see it. I can't use it. Yes. Maybe what you should do is have a camera outside and 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 project it and bring the the view back in on another screen. <laughs> no, but this is what we need, though. We need a return to screenless studios. I bang on about this loads, but you know, no one's making them anymore. Everyone's scared. Everyone thinks you have to use computers, but I want screenless. I want screenless recording. Yeah, well, I, I dig I, that. You know conducive to good things well, I... Nick, before i forget i this i've been talking about this for a year and it's finally come this uh, little uh, what the hell is that <laughs> it's the wooger it's the wooger uh yes that rem- it rings a bell but still doesn't <laughs> trigger any memories um it's a little transducer you plug your headphones into it and then you plug it into your sound source like a, your phone or mp3 player or in my case my bass amp headphone output and then it sympathetically vibrates and it's it's like a uh there's two places you put it on your sternum or on the base of your spine to be honest i did actually try it in my underpants but it was just too (laughs) strong a sensation i just i couldn't do it i couldn't do it but i i have i have I have uh, I have wiped it down as well. <laughs> is it so? Hold on. Is that is, so? It's basically a vibrator, an audio audio driven vibrating device, shall we say? Yeah, and actually, if I, I listen to it, I can actually hear the music. So there is some sort of like speaker in there, I suppose. But it packs a hefty wallop. So, so it's like haptic you know, feedback or sub sub unit. Yes. yes. That's right. That's right. So if you're so, listening to a mix and you've got it strapped to your chest, does it kind of yeah. give it extra doof? Massively, yeah. It was much more powerful than I was expecting. But, and herein I think lies a little bit of the problem with it. Uh, the idea is is that, you know, together with your headphones, you know, if you listen, like, the bass response from the headphones is, is, is not, you don't feel it, do you? You just hear what you can. So this is meant to 
you know, by giving you the frequency, you know, the vibration, it's meant to extend, make the music feel like it extends lower as well, you know. The, the, the What's bass. it called again? I'm trying to look it up. Wooja doesn't seem to... W-O-O-J-E-R. Ah, Wooja. So, but I, um, for me, the jury's out a little bit on it because it, for, it, it, I... It kind of feels like some. I'm listening to music and something is vibrating in time with it on, on my chest. Oh, ah, oh no, go away. Ah, I see. Okay, yeah. The only silent matchbox-sized woofer is what its uh, tagline is. So I can see what's going on there. But does right, it feel? Yeah. Does it feel like constantly you're just going? Oh, is that a phone call? Because like your phone's vibrating. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. But I, I have to say, I was uh, I, so I was trying to play along on my bass uh, with it on. And on it on the weakest setting, uh, and I was I'm still a bit unsure. Then I just kind of started forgetting I was wearing it, and then I turned it off, and then I really really missed it. So I thought, oh, oh okay. interesting. So so that was quite cool. I, so I wonder, like at the moment, something like this is very novelty. Uh, you know, and to be honest, it's a bit of a pain as well because you've got another cable hanging off you and another device. You know, uh, apparently they're really good if you're playing computer games. Yeah, right, yeah. So you get explosions, kicks and all, you, and the like. slaps you about yeah. a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm kind of interested from a music technology point of view, and also from uh, <laughs> sorry, when... Synth Beast just said, "Clip it on your left nut," which I think is uh, <laughs> perhaps not such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've been trying to d- try out in different places because they recommend that, you know, as I say, <laughs> you know, I was getting a but, bit experimental with it. But um, generally, I find that reasonably high up on the chest uh, is a good place for it. It but, feels like um, it feels as closer to the headphone. It, yeah, know, right. OK. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Music, so it's part it belongs of... to, the, to the music. More. How much was you it? Know, is it expensive? Uh, well, I got it on Kickstarter, so it was a bit cheaper. Um, uh, it was a bit cheaper. I think it was about 70 quid or something Oh, like right. That. Wow. Okay. So it's not dead cheap. Uh, they package it as an extreme edition as well, where you get actually two of these, so even more kind of cable. <laughs> one on each nut. <laughs> one on the sternum. One on... <laughs> two of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> That is, that is, yeah. that no, that's a really interesting. I, I remember face, you, I do remember you watching because we we talked about this before. There's like these vest mm-hmm. things, isn't there? That, and I know that um, Ed, one of our reporters, has been after uh, something which is it's like a, it's like a kicker, you know, because as drummers have been getting kickers that go into yeah. stools or what have you, and you get big transducer yeah. boards that just kind of give you a bit of a pounding. So it feels like there's yeah. a lot of air moving around. It's an interesting. Yeah. Uh, oh, Richie, yeah, no, apparently yeah, yeah. Richie Horton uses a bass vest. Oops, no bass vest. That's interesting. Yeah. But uh, how long does the battery last? Uh, I don't know because I hasn't, it hasn't run out yet since I've charged it. So I don't know. Uh, I, I think you get like a like maybe a day's use out of right, it, I suppose. Okay. It's got a USB port on it for charging. So I guess, wow. you know, you can charge it off. I charged it off the computer. So uh, I, could, I could see that being really useful in, in a situation like, I know, Dave, if you're that and you can't have the music up loud, you know, you've got to listen on headphones and you've got something that's just giving you a bit of an extra vibe for maybe if you're jamming, I could see that being quite useful. 
Um, apart from the the lead probably wouldn't reach across your you're dashing across the room to tweak another synth and it sort of pulls everything off the desk. That's it might be the only problem. It's for sort of perhaps not something that you could move around with. Yeah. Next next generation, isn't it? Bluetooth. Yeah. Bluetooth a Bluetooth Wooja. Yeah, I mean that that, <laughs> that would make sense, wouldn't it? If that was Bluetooth, you plug your headphones your wired headphones into that and then it acts as a Bluetooth receiver as well. That yeah. that would be cool. Yeah, I think that would make you sense. Know, uh but you know it's an interesting thing it's i was wondering whether the vibration tallied with the actual vibration of uh different frequencies you know different notes have different vibrations don't they and oh do you think it just buzzes depending on well i was wondering about that but as i say because i listened to it and actually actually could hear the music slightly coming out of it uh, I mean, if you press, it's like, it's like those um, uh, those. Uh, if you put a tuning fork against your tooth after you clack it, you know you get. A, 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 have you tried putting it against your tooth to see whether it, it resonates? No, don't do that. It might loosen something. But yeah, it's <laughs> it packs a punch. <laughs> <laughs> just can you imagine that? It's just smashing my teeth out. Yeah, Could in I the name of science. <laughs> uh, don't try this at home, kids. Well, anyway, well, that's uh, no <laughs> Wooja, but that sounds interesting. And um, <laughs> yeah. if you want to check out the uh, Yay Baha, um, do check that out too. Uh, it, uh, I think Synthopia uh, posted it. Uh, got a web page here you can probably have a look at. There we go. Yeah. So check it out on there because I didn't post it. Oh, that's playing again. So anyway, it's probably time we um, did the competition and all those good things. So um, first an ad from our sponsors and then competition time. So, of course, here we have this Ozone 6 is out. Ozone 6 is, uh, you know, sixth generation mastering application. Creative mastering platform. Ozone makes it easier than ever. Really does have a lot of features. Uh, get essential mastering tools, equalizer, dynamics, maximizer, exciter, imager, post. It's now standalone. Totally revamped uh, interface. Looks very clean, actually, and um, some able to do some very complex mastering functions with great graphical ease. Harness the sonic texture of classic analog gear with even deeper digital control. Smarter mixed decisions aided by robust real-time visual feedback throughout all modules. Oh, that's a very short video. I should have timed that. But anyway, you can get a 10-day free download uh, isotope.com forward slash ozone. And uh, as with all their products, you get 10 days free and you can check it out. You can master your audio outside your audio. And you can also run plugins inside it. So you can get some really kind of neat things. Uh, if you want to win one, we will have a competition. But first, I'm going to give the results of the uh, um, last week's competition where you could have won um, RX4. In fact, somebody did win RX4. And that person, and I know this name because I've, I've seen them regularly. I don't know if he's in the uh, chat room today. But Lee Kemp, please step forward. Lee Kemp from Bristol, no less. So just down the road, he won uh, with the fixed flawed audio hashtag. Uh, he's won RX4. So I think I've got his email address because he's been in touch before. So um, congratulations. The Isotope Fairy will be bestowing RX4 upon you in Bristol. So congratulations. And if you want to win Ozone 6, now we've got uh, uh, the Isotope are doing another competition, as they do every week. Ozone Six, you want you need to be on Twitter. Basically, you can just tweet this, which is the hashtag Creative Mastering, uh, to at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. And both of those uh, 
will mean that it gets entered in the competition because I've got a little search running that allows me to pull out all those entries. But please do add a comment as well because I do read a lot of these and uh, it frankly makes me feel like it's not a bunch of bots entering every week, but I'm sure it's not. We do appreciate you doing so. Do uh, enter and win. Ozone 6 from Isotope, creative mastering hashtag at SonicNick, Isotope at Isotope Inc. Go to it and um, win something. The odds are good. Right. Um, what was next? Amazing thing. We've done that one. Ah, yes. New John Carpenter album. Eh? How about this? This is uh, basically John Carpenter is releasing uh, a new album. Uh, it's called. Um, hold on. I've got it written down here. Lost Themes coming out in February uh, 2005, 2015. And it's basically, um, he's done so many of the soundtracks to his stuff. I know the legend sort of has it that he does it just purely because he wants to save money. Uh, you know, that was the sort of the, the legend, wasn't it? It's like, I'm not getting involved. I'm going to do it myself on a bunch of synths. But actually, he's done a, a whole ton. If we look at his uh, discography, it's just, it's astonishing, really. He's done Dark Star, uh, Halloween, The Fog, Big Trouble in Little China, uh, Body Bags, Dave Davis. I don't know if he's done stuff that he hasn't directed. Uh, Serial to Ghost of Mars, Assault on Precinct 13, Escape from New York. Uh, this isn't all of them by any by any stretch. It's a very kind of evocative sound of the time because those movies were really big, really big sort of, or felt big movies when I was a kid and when we were sort of teenagers and we were just maybe going to see uh, 18 certificate type movies and it had a lot of atmosphere. What was the other one? Um, the Gangs one. I forget that one. Well, that was The Wanderers. Was that was that uh, John Carpenter as well? Can't remember if it was or not. And I know Dave, you. Uh, you were saying that you did a you've you've done a, a little tribute upload to uh, to John Carpenter. I mean, really has kind of done a, a quite a massive body of work. So I'm really looking forward to this actually. Yeah, I thought it sounded great, really great. It's funny actually. I was uh, watching a load of Alessandro Cortini vids where he uses the Buckler Easel, and but there's one where he uses the AKS, and it really struck me as a there was a massive John Carpenter influence in what he did. It's just so, I don't know what it was about the John. I mean, for me, Escape from New York was probably the big one for me. Snake Plissken. It, it sounded old and slightly creepy and yet kind of futuristic all at the same time. Sort of harrowing. I don't know. It, there was something about it. And then, obviously, when I've done sounds, I've it's been in the back of my head. But reading that John Howarth interview that was quite interesting where he talks about the profit five which is why i sent you that video that because actually it's that kind of profit five muted brassy sound along with that typical kind of you know step modular vibe that sort of gives it this backdrop anyway yeah no big fan big fan looking forward to this a lot yeah some really good uh, in fact there was um uh, the, the, it's worth looking at that's examiner.com the article uh on alan harrath on composing uh film scores with john Carpenter. if i just paste the link in there i might be able to throw it up into the chat room uh, you probably won't be able to read that but uh if i come here there, there was a there's a brilliant quote in here uh which is we did a cue a day how said one quote we always get from john it's just really true he said alan if you want to be our director you only need two important words Yes and no. Just be very decisive, which I think is something we can probably all uh, uh, relate to. Um, was that a big influence? Was John Carpenter music a kind of big um, electronic influence in the States? Because I mean, I'm guessing home, being a homegrown talent, it might have had a bit even more reach 
in your neck of the woods than perhaps in the UK, even though his films were pretty big over here. Well, I imagine all of those same things, but I don't know. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Every single word you said makes perfect sense to me, but I, he was not a big influence on me. I'm familiar with some of his movies, but I'm not that familiar with him as a score guy. Um, I enjoyed this piece of music very much that you referenced in the show notes. Um, and obviously, uh, but then reading the article with Alan Howarth, it became pretty clear to me that he's not really a synth guy. He's a guy who knows how to employ synth guys to execute certain musical desires that he's got. Sure. Which doesn't in any way demean his musical ability or make any kind of value judgment at all. But just in terms of understanding where his role sits in this whole creation, creative process, he employs people to get those kinds of textures that he describes to them, which in some cases directors do anyway. Yeah, there was another quote in there which I didn't highlight, which I was just looking at, which is just kind of, <laughs> I think he just sort of said, when he stood first time working with Hath, he just sort of said, I just want it to be, I just want to make sure the record light on is when I press a key. You know, that was kind of the, the starting point anyway, but it, it may have been. Yeah. I, I know, uh, Gas, perhaps you're probably of a similar age to me, you know, and some of those films are presumably kind of quite a big part of your uh, your youth, you know, going to the cinema and seeing. There were a lot more uh, 18 type certificate, you know, more adult nature stuff or stuff that what you know wasn't for kids i mean obviously now it, it makes more sense to make a much broader appeal because you get more money back and you know it's return on investment and all those things and it's kind of a kind of golden age in many ways i mean that they weren't the greatest films ever made but the atmosphere around them was very clear wasn't it well i, I find it really interesting with the john carpenter stuff just how much he relies on the actual raw sound of the synthesizer to do the to do the work you know and how appealing that is as, as well you know that they do sound it's you know this it just sounds like synths doesn't it it doesn't sound like synths trying to be other instruments they just it's just very raw synth sound lovely and I, well because i think for me it was assault on precinct 13 that was the that was the tune you know I just thought it was do brilliant. And yeah, I, well, a, I think we did it. Yeah. We, we, covered, we covered that in a, in a podcast. Anyway, and I remember playing it. It's just so fantastically unquantized that, you know, you forget yeah. how raw it actually was. Yeah. And, and, and that's why when I listen back to it, it sounds so remarkable, really, in that you just would never have something so raw on a soundtrack these days everything's just so refined um mm. and i love that rawness i just think it's just ever so appealing and it really is a great advert for for the, just the, the pure power of synthesizers you know not having to sort of wash it all out with effects and reverbs and delays but just really you know that's interesting, that, that, that's, isn't it? That's I, I, it's interesting. Also, there was another line in that in the Alan Howarth uh, interview, which is uh, a cue a day. And when you consider the sort of technology they were dealing with, I mean, you know, when they started out, you're talking about watching the thing, stopwatch timing, hit points, creating the music, and doing it like you know two o'clock. Kind of go, okay, it needs to hit, and doing it kind of almost 
blind and then thrown it back together and tinkering with stuff. I guess if you're the director that you could move a shortcut and stuff if it didn't quite work out. So you've got a little bit more leeway and less time required. I, I don't know about that. I know, Rich, I mean, in your experience, music cues, you know, they take they take time, don't they, to kind of get right in the toing and throwing. And a lot of the stuff that was said in those is very rarely were revisions made. Oh, muted. Well, yeah, to some extent, that aspect of it is a lot easier when you're both the score guy and the director. You just say yes, can't you? I love it. (laughs) Most of your conversations that take place about the direction the score should go take place, in my experience, between the score guy and the director. And if that's one guy, well, that cuts a whole lot of middlemen out of the deal. Yeah, well, that's very true. I mean, that must be a massive advantage, and you get what you want right away. So it's to re- well, it can be an advantage, but it's the same as just we were just talking on the chat room about mastering your own material. I mean, in other words, is it always better when you're doing more than one job? Maybe, maybe you get certain advantages and you suffer certain uh, disadvantages as well. You know, it's there's a set of trade offs involved. Yeah, you don't get something you didn't know you were going to get because that's right. Yeah. That and and the benefit of having a collaborator who's contributing positively to something that you hadn't envisioned. I guess we're saying the same thing, but mm. yeah. Yeah, no, interesting. Do you want to something funny? Yes, of course, always. So it, know, be- like, it better be, though. We, we announced that thing yesterday. Oh, I can't turn my laptop around. There's tons, tons of stuff resting on What? You announced oh, that thing yesterday? What the hell? Oh, yeah, no. It. It uh, yes. I'll talk about it at some point. But um, no, I'm kind of in the final stages of doing patches and then when you sent this topic ah oddity 2 that one (laughs) that thing you announced (laughs) yesterday that i obviously have been completely unaware of oh i'm sorry dave i've just no 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 honestly don't worry it's uh no but it's funny because i'm in the final stages of doing patches and when you sent this through i went like this I recognise that tune, but I can't picture the film. Is that Escape from New York as well? Or is that Escape from New York? York. Snake Plissken, Lee Van Cleef. And the Oddity 2, Jack. Isaac Hayes. Yeah. Ah, awesome. Uh, Just as an aside here, now, I don't know whether or not uh, anybody would know uh, this. Uh, I'm just, but uh, I've always thought that if, if you ever watch Coronation Street, um, there's a character in in there who looks absolutely like uh, Lee Van Cleef. I'm just see if I can find an image now. This this it's not meant to be unkind. It's just an observation. Let's see if I can find Lee Van Cleef. There we go. Here we go. That's the image there. Right, Gail Tilsley, Lee Van Cleef, separated at birth. There we go. Anyway, that's enough of that. <laughs> Very flippant. Um. Uh. <laughs> But yes, check it out. February 2015 is when uh, that's going to be coming out. I don't know how much material there is. I'm uh, completely unaware of any other details. Uh, it looks like um, the quote on Synthetopia is, Lost, Lost uh, theme's all about having fun. It can be both great and bad to score over images, which is what I'm used to. So there are no pressures. No actors asking me what they're supposed to do. So I suppose he's, uh, in, in many ways what he's saying is it's actually a light relief <laughs> from the pressures of directing a film to then scoring to it. And uh, I suppose perhaps if you didn't get on with a particular actor, you could give them a sort of theme that implied they were something they were not, you know, 
whatever. There's all sorts of things you could do with the scoring, and that's that's an interesting point. But yeah, so it'll be out. Uh, I'm not sure what the um, what label it's going to be on, but um, go to it. Oh no, tracks. Yes, there's going to be at nine tracks. Scheduled for release February 2015. There we go. And the track that we heard was a little bit uh, something called Vortex. And that, that's got some great sounds in it. It's actually a really nice uh, piece of piece of composition. So, um, what's next on the list? Let me see. Uh, ah, now this is... Now, I am actually interested in this. I've been, this has been in the topic list for ages. And I'm very curious to see what you think about this, Dave. This is a massive modular patch... Uh, this is po- posted by, um, uh, hold on, is it coming? Yeah, there it goes. Oh, and it's not playing properly. Look at the size of that modular. That is ludicrous. I have a horrible feeling that this is actually perhaps a little bit too high resolution for my video playback system, which is why it's going a bit funny. So if I can get that up on here, I'll try and play it via um, Vimeo instead. Uh, let me have a look. If I go here, this is uh, Cyrus Rex and Basek. Uh, if I play this, no, let's see if I turn it up. Go on then, get on with it. Here we go. And this is, I mean, just look at the complexity of this patch. I mean, it's an awesome looking modular synthesizer. And really, uh, I mean, who wouldn't want something like that, Dave? I expect you. I mean, it's perhaps not the classic modules that you would go for yourself, but there's, there's got something to be said for that. And this is a very complicated thing. And it, what it did was <clears throat> open a whole area of thought to me, which was okay, modular synthesizer, right? There's two ways of doing it. You've got that method, which is basically you build an enormous patch that kind of evolves and it plays itself to a degree. So the machine does a bunch of the work, but under the direction of the patch writer. Or you've got the notion of you make a patch and you you tinker with it and you play it real time. I wonder which school has... uh, Have you tried both of those methods, Dave? I mean, you've got quite a lot of modular kit there. I mean, do you kind of... How do you feel about the difference between those two things? Because it seems like there is a, <clears throat> there's definitely two ways. It's almost East Coast and West Coast kind of notion, isn't it? It's a very different approach to using that kind of equipment. Yeah. Uh, but my answer is really simple. All of the above, really. Ah. Just do it. Just do it. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I've been talking to a lot of people about modular synthesis and there are these kind of two schools of thought, isn't it? That you have a sound, first of all, you have a sound in your head and then you try and recreate that. And that's one method. And then there's another one where you just play with things and connect things. And and it's funny actually, because most people seem to really prefer this, or most people I've spoken to in recent months seem to really prefer that second option. They may start with an idea, but actually it just evolves and evolves and evolves once you start plumbing stuff in until it becomes nothing like you originally thought. And I think that's really where a lot of the rewards are. I really like this. It could have been made better by one thing. You know that uh, massive Samsung TV? If this had just kind of fallen over and it was a bloke playing like a monotron or something behind it, that would have been really, really funny. Or a couple of plugins or Reason or something like that. But yeah, amazing, amazing. You see, I look at that and kind of go, that's obviously just evolved over a God. Well, it's interesting, though, because, if, I mean, I, the reason I asked this question was because, you know, say an artist like Richard Devine, what he does, as I understand, 
is, you know, particularly if he's doing a performance for a particular thing, he creates an incredibly complex patch. So he builds the patch and then the performance is the play out of the patch with obviously some interaction. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's just the machine doing its thing, but it's a, it, it's just quite a different... Um, or, uh, it's a unique way, you know, it's a very different way of doing things, you know, so you, you, you're you letting the random nature that you can program into it kind of create things that you didn't know were going to happen. Yeah. I don't know, Gaz, got anything that works in that way? <laughs> Is that sort of, I mean, you know, it's almost like creating a kind of giant mousetrap game, you know, and just firing it off and seeing what kind of happens, whether the, the, the uh, ball bearing comes out the other end or whatever. I mean, that, that that particular one, I was just wondering how on earth you could kind of keep track of where things are at with it, because it's so huge. I mean, I guess if you built it and over time, but blimey, do you know what I mean? It's like, uh, I get very confused very quickly with my small dabblings in... Because uh, like Dave, you were saying, when, when you do patches, you say it's... It's like the vortex. You're entering some sort of strange, you know, you you wouldn't necessarily recommend it as a, a way of patch design because you get sucked into it. Uh, do you know? What, do you remember what you were telling me about it? Oh, the the, the, yeah. the modular time black hole kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's black like hole. computer time, but it's with some exercise because you've got patch calls. <laughs> with computer time with your arms above your head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember straight. I started working on something a, a couple of months ago, and uh, I put all these patch cables around because I thought oh, I'll just I'll just grab them all and put them around my shoulders. And after about an hour, I thought, God, my shoulders really hurt. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> it's like that's how unfit I've become. Sat in front of a computer for years. It's an interesting idea. I mean, I don't know. You know, I guess the thing, same thing could be applied to kind of plug-in chains and you know creating patches generally. But it's it's quite. I mean, I guess the thing with something like that, you know, he created a whole performance out of it. Presumably, there are other spin-offs and stuff. I don't know, Rich. Do you, do you feel do you feel there is a right way or a wrong way? I mean, it feels to me. I mean, I mean, the only reason I'm bringing this up a little bit is it feels to me that um, kind of making the machine, letting the machines do a lot of the work, is not all that different to you know buying in a bunch of reactor patches and pressing start. You know, it, even though you didn't you didn't make them. So I don't know, but I, I I can clearly be proved wrong there, and no doubt will be. I mean, I don't have much of an opinion about this. I enjoyed it for the first few minutes, and eventually it became the sort of modular synth equivalent of watching paint dry. But in other words, I would have wished for more sweeping changes to be available within that huge of an architecture, whereas they chose to dedicate it pretty much to this one evolving piece. I have absolutely nothing against evolving pieces, and the elements that they created are interesting to me. So I quite enjoyed it, and I uh, really have no complaints about it. And I don't necessarily see this as, a, as Dave said, you start from an idea, but you typically, in an in a environment, in a sandbox like that, will end up with something that's different from what you thought you started out because your idea will improve or refine across the point of generating the thing. And you'll hear things you didn't expect that'll suggest new directions to you. So I don't know that I see it as two different processes even. Um, you generally start from some kind of an idea. I want to do it. Either the idea is a process. I want to do this until I find something cool. Or the idea is a sound. Gee, I wish I could make it sound like a cuckoo clock. And then along the way, you find <laughs> some way to make it sound like something more interesting. There were elements of that clock. that did, did, did get, get into that, uh, that area. I suppose in many ways, 
it's it, it's like complex modulation. I don't know when you create stuff on your on your modular. I mean, sometimes with me, I kind of go, "Oh, I could do that," and then this would evolve in it, and the, and creating sort of non-standard waveforms and things that just kind of generally go. I mean, I've been reviewing the Boom Stars um, the last couple of days uh, and had them for um, uh, I don't know three or four weeks, and I found you know the the programming that you can do with that is quite deep considering it's a front panel with a bunch of switches and knobs on. There's not a lot of patching, but there's all sorts. You know, you think, "Oh, I know, I could do this," and then do that, and then and then you figure out a way to come to. to around of doing things do you find you're doing that with the modular stuff as much i mean you use the sequencer i mean do you use that as a sort of a massive lfo or envelope sometimes or is it mostly just to trigger note events yeah. all all of those things i mean that track that oh uh, no i didn't yeah 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 so i use one particular sequencer on that track that i sent you the video to uh i use so i've got Two of the 960 sequences. Hang on, can I turn that around? It's probably going to not. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so I've got two 960s, and then we've got this one here. So I'll use this one here as a LFO, but those are generally the kind of notes. But what happens is, is like you know, like I was saying, and like Rich was saying, you start with this idea, and this is what I love about it. Actually, is you start with this reasonably fixed idea, and then as you're building something, you go, oh, hang on a minute. And actually, this is quite infuriating at times, particularly for an old codger like me, is that I'll suddenly have an idea and think, oh, actually, if I modulate that with that, then I'll get that. Or if I trigger that with that, then I'll get that. And then I start to think, now, where was I again? And, <laughs> and sometimes you literally have to kind of retrace your way back through the cables. The worst the worst one's running out of patch cables, isn't it? But I haven't like- got that far yet, but it's a uh, the, the analogy that I heard, which I really liked, and I think this really does apply to people like Alessandro and Richard Devine, is it, it's like playing 3D chess. Wow. You really do need to keep a handle on so many different things to arrive at the destination that you want. Otherwise, it can be chaos, and, and chaos is great. Accidents are great. All of those things are great. Mm. Everything is great. <laughs> Everything is great. Okay, well that's fair enough. I think that's uh, all. All com- show, completely valid. Show title right there. Ca- everything is great, or show chaos is great. Yeah, either one. All of that. All of it. Yeah. Both. I'll just put both. the whole of it in the show title. <laughs> I think there's a character limit somewhere on the line, but yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. No, it is interesting. And I, I've, I've kind of. That's the one. The first thing I did. Uh, I, dri- I took a drive out to our local synth dealer last year when we got the modular because I, you know, the, the dope for dark energy comes with sort of four grey patch cables, and I was like, I really need to buy some more patch cables because it's quite often you get to the point it's like, ah, oh, I've got another one, but it's not long enough to reach to the bit that I want, so I have to unplug a load of things and jig them around and go, yeah, that one's a lot, you know, that 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 patch uh, cable management sort of scenario. Gaz, I hear you. Yeah, well, it. You know the the newly announced micro brute uh, SE, like the coloured the pastel coloured ones, yeah, yeah, pastel coloured ones. They come with oh. the, the they come with a stackable mini jack, don't they? So oh, can, really? The tip top ones? I know. Oh, they tip top, are they? Yeah, I think they're tip top. Ah, Rich so is, just, that's, that wow! Just look at that. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're they're linked by. Two-inch patch cables across the Atlantic. There, right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so so uh, that's what I, my question was going to be. I really like some of those stackable ones, you know. So, for instance, so you could send the LFO out to a few different places. Um, for example, 
so tip top tip top yeah i think tip top audio are the only people that actually make them tip top stackable uh-huh. and they're not they're, they're quite hard to find here i mean cuz i was thinking i would like yeah let's see if i can find uh, there's a there they are look so they're just basically stackable uh oh there we go um that's not much information there but stack there it is you can just about see it's basically obviously just comes out and you can plug one in the top so you can it, i guess that's built in splitters isn't it it's like having a yeah. um a malt. Looks a bit different from the Arturia one, though. So I'm wondering if Arturia are actually manufacturing them specifically for their Ooh. SE one. I don't know. Um, mm. Well, that's true. And it's not really long enough to get you anywhere, apart from internal patching, that thing. But, uh, yeah, they do look cool. And they are cool. Um, Nanobrute. Oh, somebody says, Shaggy Freak says Nanobrute. Oh, that'd be interesting. I wonder if there is such a thing. Hmm, don't think there is. Oh, that's uh, Intelligent. Oh, hold on. Intelligent. Let's see what that is. Hub. Oh, man, what have I done? Oh, this looks interesting. Hold on. It's opened in the wrong browser window, so I'm just going to bring that over here and um, chuck that. Uh, I think that's the idea. No, hold on. Oh, God. Sorry. It's the wrong chat window. Wrong chat window, wrong wrong machine. I'm getting there. I will get there in the end. There we go. Look at that. That looks pretty cool. Mm. Oh, wow. So that's just like it a kind of a little splitter. Malt. malt splitter. Neat. That's a mm. Christmas present right there, isn't it? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> hold on. What's going on here? Uh, help. <laughs> I've got too many meese and too many windows. I can't see where I am. There. There we go. So, that yeah, that looks kind of cool. Uh, now, wrong mouse. Yeah, I'm getting a bit befuddled. I do, yeah, four-channel passive units, 10 bucks each. So it's a a four-way split. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So we'll get some of those. So, yeah, we want some tip-top audio cables, tip-top audio stackable cables, and some of those IntelliGels, because we like IntelliGel too. They make the IntelliGel Atlantis, which I've got over there in the rack, and uh, is a very nice uh, piece of equipment too. Um, cables with LEDs. Oh gosh, they're all coming out now. That's a, this is from uh, Sonic Two Two Five Three. Let's see what's this one. This is cables with LEDs. Oh, they're pretty. LED patch cables. Oh, look at that. Ooh, nice. I wonder if they pulsate in time with the signal. That would be pretty cool. Cool. Uh, Euro at module order here. How much are they? Let's have a look. Oh, I've got to click. Yes, I am. We get. Uh, oh, I can't see. Doesn't say uh, ten pounds per cable. Uh, blah 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 blah. It doesn't say whether they oscillate in that whether they pulsate in time, but that would be cool too. Anyway, I'm rambling. We're getting into Christmas shopping here, really. So, um, <laughs> oh, Sonic two two five three actually says yes, positive and ne- with showing positive and negative voltages. Ooh, Dave. Very nice, Dave. I could, I can just see uh, back there, just behind you. I can see this sort of glowing awesomeness. Yeah, you can turn That'd the really lights good, off. It? That would be really good. I wonder where they get the power from, though, because uh, 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 we'll have to read up on it. But thanks for that. Um, that's the chat room to the rescue once again. Fantastic. Anyway, um, I think that's probably time to stop now. So don't forget if you uh, if you didn't catch the um, information about the, am I trying to find? Yes, the. the uh, isotope ozone 6 you can win ozone 6 here all you've got to do is tweet out mm. uh creative mastering hashtag at sonic nick at sonic nick add a, add a comment too because um you know it's always nice to read as i said i i, I done my first mastering session on ozone 6 
Ah. Ye- yesterday. Oh, cool. Um, How'd it go? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's some things missing, which is a bit concerning. Because uh, oh. I have I have read various people grumbling about uh, about it being a bit of a downgrade, just in terms of there being Surely less not. in there. In in some, I've never seen it before with the ozone. It's always they've always added more things, but this time they've actually taken away the the reverb module, which I love from the previous version. But I think maybe the thinking is because you can insert things inside of the all right you can run yeah chain you could put a reverb in you could bring in the ozone 5 reverb for instance uh if you've got the advanced one where it splits everything out but but the thing is that is worth mentioning though is that it's got a very nicely implemented dynamic eq and that is mind-bogglingly interesting from a mastering perspective i've not actually i've used a tc one on my um uh, power core i used to use that quite a bit years ago but to actually apply dynamic eq in mastering is uh is is it's amazing really it lets you do things that you oh that's that good that's, normally... a, that's an advanced feature only i believe Oh, I think it is. Yeah, I, I think, think it just is. Just to be, just but to be clear, it is. It's an outstandingly powerful uh, tool, uh, and I was, I was using it on like a kick drum, where a kick drum was a little bit, it was just a bit muffled, right? Uh, and then so I just dialed in a really quite a tight peak, boosted it up, and then you know, and oh yeah, so what you can do is you can invert the behaviour. So when the threshold is crossed. You know, you can have it add gain or you can have, you know, so it's really flexible. So you can do different things. But in this case, where I had it, so every time the bass drum sounded, this real tight band of bass just went up. And it just made that real kick. Wow. Just really come, come out. Yeah. And, you know, otherwise, if that was a static EQ, it would just be taking all the bass up. It was just doing it when those kick drums are coming in. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. OK, cool. Well, uh, thank you for that, Gaz. But uh, yes, we should probably uh, call it a, a day. I've got a, a few errands to run after work, so uh, I better hop off but thank you very much everybody i want to say rich hilton thank you very much in connecticut i haven't heard anybody moving large uh, trees around in the background so uh i'm guessing yeah. they're having a break but thank you very much you're presumably you're off to the studio to do some uh, exciting things with uh, popular music no doubt today no doubt no doubt and uh you around for a little while i guess you've still got the christmas the christmas rush all those kind of big events must be coming up again now you is this the time of year that you maybe go from the festivals into the more corporate events because they tend to happen at this side of the year this is the time of year where he typically likes to spend more time in the studio than on the road ah. so um uh we have as i know it right now two gigs remaining this year and one of them is new year's so i'll be home a lot Ah, oh, great. Well, that means hopefully we'll be seeing a lot more of you. At which we'll yes, be I hope so too. Anyway, thank you very much, Rich. And thank you. Dave Spears there in uh, the G4 Software Cave. Uh, obviously just released uh, Oddity 2, which is big news. That's been on the boil for a little while, right? 15 months. Oh, no, maybe longer. Uh, yeah, not released. We've announced it. It'll be released on the 1st of December 2014, I hasten to add, because I know what our reputation's like. Um, but we're doing pre-orders. There's a good deal on pre-orders, and you get the chance to win an R Anyone who 
upgrades or purchases during the pre-order period gets put in the hat we've got this amazing i mean it's just absolutely pristine r packs flight case patch charts it's beautiful and we went you know what would be fun let's give it away right so, yes i'm gonna do that Awesome. Well, do check it out. And, uh, well, when the release will be uh, next month then. So, cool. I, I noticed you went for the orange ARP look. Oh, I've got to say, I mean, we went through several iterations. And I have to say, as soon as I saw that one, I just went, that is the most gorgeous looking interface. There's some, something about it for me just yeah. works. I went straight back to the design guys and just went, it's beautiful. That's it. <laughs> it stays. Anyway. And there it is. Just to uh, clarify, I'll just see if I can zoom it. Oh, yeah, that's that's very pretty. Black and orange is just the greatest colour scheme. Yeah. Um, such it really a is. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you very much, Dave. G4Software.com. Nice to have you thank aboard you. again. I know you've been very busy, so uh, appreciate it. Uh, you taking the time. And also, Mr. Gaz Williams, who's there in Bristol. Uh, thank you very much for joining us as well, and thank you very much for um, last week and the uh, the chocolate and the beer last night. That was very oh, much appreciated. Any time. <laughs> okay, I think that be it now. Uh, so um, I'm going to press the fade to black and stop the recording. So thanks very much. <laughs>